Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Perringer. But I want us to study the Word, and I want us to turn to the book of Genesis. We'll start in chapter 1. This morning, we're going to be kind of going to some different places in Genesis 1 and Genesis 3 and things uh, like that, so do things a little bit different. Um, we're, we started a, uh, a reading, uh, a Bible reading plan uh, for the church, and, and we, uh, you know, I have it on the website, I have some in the, uh, you know, some of the copies of the reading plan out in the welcome areas, and I learned this morning that um, it's actually on the Bible app. If you get the Bible app, it's one of the reading plans, it's one of the Bible study plans. It, it, it's called F260. Um, and it comes from Robbie Gallaty and, and his ministry. Uh, and so you can use the Bi- that Bible app a- as well. And, and uh, you know that the Bible reading started at the beginning, and so I want to start at the beginning because the beginning is a good place to start because it gets us set up for everything else. And it, it's good to have that kind of set up. You know, sometimes when you read a novel or you see a movie, it has something that's called a a prologue, uh, might be the term that is used. It's something that comes way before, you know, the the rest of the story so that you kind of understand where things are, how you got to where you are in the story and and things like that. Because without these, these prologues, without these explanations, you might not understand what's going on. You might miss some important plot points. One of the um, more famous ones to me, and one of the more uh, maybe important prologues, I think, uh, comes at the beginning of um, The Fellowship of the Rings, which is, you know, the first movie of uh, the Lord of the Rings movies. Because that, if you've ever read Tolkien, that he just had so much background material that over the years since his death has been published because he just wrote down so much background. And so to understand what in the world, especially if you, you know, you're, you're not from Tolkien land before, you've never read him before, I mean, to understand what in the world is going on so that, you know, Peter Jackson, who did the movies, he, he started with this prologue, uh, going off of some of the other things that Tolkien wrote that you, you just can't get everything into one movie. And so, you know, it explains that there were these rings that were made, you know, rings, like actual literal rings. And, and so uh, the, these rings were forged. Three of them were given to elves, seven of them were given to dwarves, and nine of them were given to men. But there was this one ring that was forged by the Dark Lord Sauron that would dominate. As kind of the tagline of the movies goes, one ring to rule them all. Now it it, it explains in this prologue how the human king Isildur, he was able to take this ring in battle and defeat Sauron. And he could have completely defeated Sauron if he had destroyed the ring by throwing it into Mount Doom. But instead of destroying the ring, the ring kind of is almost like a drug. You just want to keep it. You want to hold it, and so Zildur held on to it to his own doom. And because of the ring, he was killed, and the ring was missing, lost for some time, until it was found by Gollum, and then eventually lost by him, and found by Bilbo, and you kind of pick up the story from there. It's actually a very amazing sequence. But, you know, if you hadn't been so steeped in Tolkien world, you wouldn't have understood what the rest of the movie was about. 
because you wouldn't have had that prologue, you wouldn't have had that introduction into what was going on. You know, wouldn't it be nice if we had a real-life prologue that would explain how we got here? And, and I mean that from two different angles, like how we got here as in how we came into existence. I mean, how did we get here? But, you know, there's another angle, how we got here as in how in the world did we get into this big mess that we're in? Wouldn't it be great to have a prologue that explained that? Well, guess what? We do. It's found in the first three chapters of Genesis. Right at the beginning, Scripture tells us these realities, including the explanation of where we came from, like how we got here, where we came from, how we came into existence, as well as how do we get here? Why are we in the mess that we're in? But it also talks about what was done about that mess. Because we live in a broken world. And we have broken lives. And knowing how we got here, and knowing what has been done about it ought to comfort us, because something was done about it. That ought to comfort us on this journey that we call life. And so I want us to leave here today with the confidence that Scripture has the answers to the most important questions that we have in life. Because if from the outset it explains why things are the way they are and what has been done to fix it, it probably explains a whole lot more to us as well. And so as we look at these various verses from the first three chapters of Genesis, you know, I, I want us to answer the question, what important concepts and realities do we find that, that lays the foundation to understand the rest of Scripture but also, you know, lays the foundation so we can understand our very lives as well. And so we're going to be skipping to, to different places within the first three chapters of Genesis. So I want to talk about these four different realities. And the first reality I want to talk about is that there is the reality of an almighty God. There is an almighty God. Now I want you to look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It says, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Right away, everything begins here with the reality of an almighty God. He is the ultimate reality because if there is no God, then there's nothing else. God is the source of everything that exists. At one point, there was nothing but God himself. And then God, he created the heavenly host, the spiritual world. And then God created the heaven and the earth. You know, in the, in the verses that follow here in Genesis 1-1, it describes him filling and forming and, and doing all that to the, to the rest of the universe, but it was him. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is important because it tells us that this universe was, didn't just kind of happen by random. It didn't just happen by chance. Because if everything was just random and if everything happened by chance, there would be no purpose and there would be no value to anything that, that exists. If, if everything was random and everything just kind of happened by chance, we just hear by an accident, we are a cosmic accident, then it doesn't matter if bad things happen, it doesn't matter if good things happen, because the cold-hearted reality of it would be that it's just a meaningless existence. If 
everything was random by chance, a cosmic accident. So, you know, at Solomon, he, at the beginning of Ecclesiastes, he kind of starts out from that angle. You know, if it's just all about the world and living for the world and things like that, well, everything is vanity. Vanity of vanities, emptiness, some translations might say. Everything is just empty. And that would be true if things just kind of happened on their own. If we just kind of plugged along. I mean, imagine the helplessness and hopelessness that there is, thinking that everything is by chance, thinking that life is like rolling the dice in a board game. You're playing Monopoly and you throw the dice and you, you don't know where your little guy, your little thing is going to move to. You don't know where it's going to land. Because everything's just kind of like by chance. You don't know where you're going, don't know what's going to happen, you don't know where you're going to turn up. It's just a roll of the dice. Whatever happens, happens. Que sera, sera. Whatever will be, will be. Whatever. What a harsh existence that would be. But Solomon doesn't end Ecclesiastes on that fatalistic note. He says that, well, the end of the matter is that there is a God, and he is to be feared and obeyed. The end of the matter is that God exists and he's in control of, of everything. But imagine being an atheist who thinks that everything is random, everything is by chance, everything, you know, and all that exists is just the universe. There's nothing else. There's the universe, there's the vacuum, there's the, the worlds that are in it, but that, that's it. The universe has always existed, or the universe is the only thing that exists. You know, the atheists will say different things in, in different ways. But the, even the atheists understood kind of the problem that they put themselves in. They understood that, yeah, you know what? If everything is random and by chance and a cosmic accident, and there's no, there's no meaning to anything, there's no purpose to anything. So they created a philosophy called nihilism, where... where you just have to create your own meaning. Well, how in the world do you do that if there is no meaning whatsoever? A random universe can't give you meaning. But they try and reason and argue around it, which I find kind of ironic because they use reason and logic to defend their viewpoint. But think about this. If the universe is just some random accident, then reason and logic themselves are just random accidents. They come from random forces. Why would you trust a random force to create reason and logic? How do you know you could trust them? I mean, reason and logic would just be random things. By chance, why would you trust that? You can't even, if, if everything is by random and, and chance, you can't, even, you can't even trust your own thinking. Well, how, why should you trust the thinking that comes from randomness? Why should you trust anyone if everything comes from randomness? It's by chance. Because disorder cannot bring about order. The impersonal cannot bring about the personal. Ooh, what a what terrible life to live. Awful worldview. But thankfully, all right, everyone take a deep breath. Thankfully, that's not where we're left. In the beginning, God. 
God created the heavens and the earth. There is a God who created and ordered everything according to his eternal knowledge and wisdom. The reason why there is purpose, the reason why there is meaning, the reason why there is reason and logic is because God. He created everything that way. And so there is a God who can be known. And we can know the universe. We can trust to a point. You know, we can do science and we can do things like that because God created a purposeful, meaningful universe. God gives meaning and purpose and order to everything. And everything moves according to his will and purpose. So there is purpose and meaning, and this is important, and this leads us to the second reality. This leads us to the reality of humanity's importance. You were not made by randomness. You are not a cosmic accident. You were made with purpose, and you are given meaning. I want you to look at verses 26 and 27 of chapter 1 of Genesis here. And here it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So God spoke everything into existence. And, and you know, when you, re you read chapter 1, he, he at first made everything kind of chaotic, but he did that with a purpose because then, you know, you read through the chapter how he forms it and then he fills it. So he filled his creation with all sorts of things and all sorts of animals and creatures and things. And he did that all in preparation for the one that he would create who would join him in his creative endeavor, us. He, calls, called, he created us to join him in his work. And what we learn in these verses that I read and more fully in chapter 2 of Genesis is that humanity, we're, we're not just kind of a piece in all of the universe. We're not a cog in the machine. We are a special creation by Almighty God who are, we are given a special status, we are given a special purpose from anything else, whether it's the spiritual world or the physical world, because we, we were just made with purpose. We, are, we were not created just kind of like, oh, well, that, there's just another creature amongst my creation. That's just another thing that I, you know, God's not saying, okay, humanity, that's just kind of another thing that I added to it. You know, just kind of spruce up the world a little bit. I think I'll create a human being. Hey, let's add the human being. That's not how things work. You know, he, he didn't just kind of make us and then set us aside. Like, oh, that's nice. You know, if you ever were into model making, maybe, you know, you, you put the pieces together, glued them together, put the stickers on or painted it or whatever. And once you were completed making the model, you're like, oh, that's nice. And you admired it for a minute. But then it got set up on a shelf and, well, you just kind of forgot about it. You see it every once in a while, like, oh, yeah. I had fun making that, and then you move on. That's not humanity. That's not how God views humanity. Or you think about a puzzle that you put together. You have this 1,000-piece puzzle. You know, you want to get everything together to make this full picture. 
Now, when you're, when you're doing the puzzle, you don't necessarily consider the individual piece. I mean, except at the point where you're trying to find where it fits. But then once you find where it fits, you just kind of forget about it and you move on to the next piece. You're like, hey, okay, great, whatever, the next piece. You, you, you don't think of the, that piece of the puzzle very long. And once it's in place and then like once the puzzle is over with, you're like, oh, isn't that nice? I, I did it. I have a sense of accomplishment. I made the puzzle. Yay me. And then you take the puzzle apart, you put it in the box, you put the box in a closet, and then you forget about it. That is not how God views humanity. We were not just one creature among many. We are not just a piece of the puzzle. We are special. Now, I'm not saying that because, you know, in some sort of pop psychology way, saying, you know, kind of patting you on the head, oh, you're special. I'm not saying it just because of you. I'm saying that is because of how we were created. We're not special just because of us. We're special because God created us with purpose and meaning, and it's God who gives us our value. So often we look to find our value in other things and in other people. Guess what? You will never, ever find your value in anybody else. God is the one that gives you your value. God is the one that says, you are special because I created you. We're special because God made us that way. He gives us our value because we're, we're the only ones that are made in his image. I mean, that's repeated several times in the verses that I read. I mean, let us make man in our image. God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created them. You know, male and female. Everyone, you know, everyone's made in the image uh, of God. Now, yeah, there's a lot of controversy over what, what in the world is the image of God. You, you get five, you get 500 scholars in a room and all 500 will give a different, different answer. But we, we can summarize it in that man was specially created for a covenant relationship with God to be his co-workers, his co-regents, his co-rulers. We represent God in the universe and we join him in his creative work because we were given that task. We were given the task, multiply, subdue, take dominion. There was nothing else that was given, given that task. We were given that task. We are God's representatives on earth, and we look after his interests. We look after, you know, that was how originally we were created, to look after his interests in creation. And therein lies our purpose. We were made to do God's work in God's creation. That's our purpose. And therein lies our value. He created everyone different in order to get it done. You know, he didn't make just a bunch of robots that were all the same. The same, you know, everyone's just the same model of robots. He made everyone as individuals, special, unique, because together we would be able to do his work. And, and, and again, we're not just pieces of a puzzle. We're just not part of a machine. He knows us as individuals. He knows you by name. He knows what's going on inside of you, around you, through you. You may think, uh, I've been forgotten by God. God doesn't see me. Yes, he does. And not just because of, theologically he sees everything. I mean, that's true theologically, but he sees you. And he cares because you have value. Because you are his creation. You know, unlike the philosophers, we don't have to create our own value and purpose. We have been endowed with an eternal purpose, and we have value, each and every one of us, and there's no one here that's excluded. But then, okay, that's all fine and well. But we, we notice 
that, you know what? There's, there's a problem in this world. There, there's something going on around here. There, there's something wrong. There's something terribly wrong going on in this world. So that leads us to the third reality. The third reality is the reality of humanity's fall. Yeah, there, there, things are messed up around here because humanity fell. I want you to flip over to chapter 3. And, and let me read verses 1 through 7 of Genesis chapter 3. And this is what it tells us. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So God had, made, had already made a spiritual world. And one of these spiritual creatures decided that they were going to rebel against God. If you think that some passages in Ezekiel and Isaiah are describing this creature, he was filled with arrogance, pride, all sorts of stuff. He didn't want to be under God's rule. He wanted to rule himself. But now we don't exactly know the motives and don't exactly know the timing of things or how things happen. But this creature, who is described as the serpent, he decided that he, was, he wasn't only going to go down that road, he was going to take God's imagers down with him. And so he approached humanity with this prospect of rebellion. And he did it by calling into question God's word and commands. Now, humanity, they didn't put up much of a fight. And so they kind of joined the serpent in his rebellion pretty quickly. They, they very willingly followed him in breaking God's commands, going against God's standards, choosing their own way. And through their rebellion, sin entered the world. Sin is missing God's standard, breaking God's law, living apart from God's rules and commands. Sin came into the world. And guess what? Sin has consequences. Sin separates mankind from God. Sin, sin brings with it physical death and spiritual death. Sin perverts the hearts and minds and spirits of everyone who is infected by it. Sin brings the curse of God upon everything it touches. Sin brings darkness of mind and, and heart. Sin is a corruption of everything that God originally called good. Sin also leads to further acts of rebellion against God. It leads to defiance against God. It leads to acts of violence against other people. And the more you sin, the more sin happens. More sin begets more sin. It's a cycle. You sin, 
Well, then that leads to another sin, and it's a cycle that cannot be escaped by our own. But most importantly, as far as consequences of sin, sin brings the judgment, condemnation, and wrath of God down upon those who commit it. I mean, we can't, don't have time to read it all, but you know, you read later in, in chapter 3, the serpent gets consequences and is judged, the woman gets consequences and is judged, the man gets consequences and is judged. Now the man and woman, they spiritually die, and the physical death begins with them, the process of physical death, and then they're banished from God's presence. And so you, you, you wonder why the world is broken. It's a broken place. And you wonder why your life is broken. Well, here it is. Sin. This is where it began. Sin. It began with sin. And now you and me and everybody else, we have this nature. We have this sin nature. And the world is cursed because of the effects of sin. I mean, yeah, we're, we... We are morally depraved now, and so there's great acts of inhumanity between one person and another. There's natural disasters in this world because of sin. And there's the consequence of being separated from God for all of eternity because of sin. And, and, that, and that, that conflict, that brokenness just reels within us in so many different ways. Anger, hate, anxiety, depression, Things like that. And it all is because of sin. That's sin working in us. But you know, the struggles we go through and the brokenness we go through, we can't blame other people for our issues. You know, we think, well, you know, if I wouldn't be this way if this person, that person, or even blaming God, that if God didn't do this or allow this or whatever. We can't place the blame on others because guess what they're not the problem we're the problem you're the problem i'm the problem you're a sinner repent you sinners guess what i'm a sinner too that's why there's all this turmoil inside of me inside of you all around us maybe we can blame sin that it's 80 degrees one day and then a couple days later it's 17 degrees or something like that in alabama <coughs> nature is all wacky because of the curse and here's the thing there's nothing you or i can do about it we can't change it we can't stop sinning on our own we can't reverse the curse on our own. We can't change our nature on our own. We can't, we, we, we sure, well, we sure can't do anything about the weather. We can't do anything about natural disasters on our own. We can't reverse the consequences of sin on our own. Boy, that would be problematic, wouldn't it? We're in this mess because of sin, and there's nothing we can do about it. How depressing would that be? Thankfully, it doesn't end there. What we couldn't do, God did. And here, he promised that he would. Whenever, whenever in the world this was happening, he promised that he would. So that leads us to the fourth and final reality. The reality of humanity's salvation. 
the reality of humanity's salvation. Now, still in chapter 3, I want you to look at verses 14 and 15. Chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise or crush your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So here, God curses the serpent, the one who, who led humanity astray. And in that curse, God says that one day, there would be an offspring of woman who would crush his head. There would come a deliverer who would defeat the serpent and would reverse everything that the serpent introduced into this world through rebellion and sin. And guess what? This sets up all the rest of Scripture. That's what all the rest of Scripture is about. The rest of Scripture is God working out His plan of redeeming mankind. Because it tells us that God chose a specific lineage from Adam through Seth that would lead to a specific human named Abraham through whom a specific nation would be born, Israel, within whom a king would rise up, which is David, from whom would come the Messiah, the anointed one, the one who would be king over everything and would reverse the curse of sin. <coughs> and that is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise. He's the fulfillment of all the promises that started in verse 15 of Genesis chapter 3. He is the only means of deliverance from this broken world and these broken lives that we're in. Jesus died on the cross. He took the wrath of God on himself. He rose again so that through him we would be brought out of death into life. This almighty God who we offended with our sin. He still loved his imagers enough that he sent a savior. Now, there's nothing we can do to earn or deserve this salvation. It's only by grace. And so the call goes out from Scripture. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And you know what? Nothing else in Scripture would make sense without this foundation, this prologue, if you want to call it, this foundational understanding of how we got here. And, and it's my prayer that this will give you a better understanding of yourself, give you a better understanding of the world. Give you, and I, I pray that this moves you toward God and it moves you toward the Savior that he provided. And just these first three chapters sets that up, gets us ready for the rest of the story. That's why it's so important to get into the Word yourself so you see what it is. See what God has done. So last week, some people thought that I was sick because I didn't use a Star Wars illustration. So, so to make sure, to let everyone know, hey, I'm, I'm all right, I'm feeling okay. Here's your Star Wars illustration, right? 
So in the episodic movies, you know, episode one, two, three, things like that. So each of those movies, they begin with this crawl. It's those yellow you know, words that go up at the beginning of the movie, and, and they set up the story. They tell you what's going on, right? So you know, you know, you pan right into some spaceship and you know what's going on. You know, for example, in the original Star Wars, you know, that's how old I am when Star Wars was just Star Wars. Now it's episode four, A New Hope. But there's this opening crawl and tells you that there's this evil galactic empire that created this <clears throat> planet-destroying space station. And these rebel spies stole the plans to this space station. Now Darth Vader is in pursuit to get those plans back. And then all of a sudden, the action begins. The rebel ship comes overhead, and then here's this large star destroyer chasing after them, trying to get those plans back. Darth Vader's trying to get it back. Everything was set up by that opening crawl. Well, Genesis 1 through 3 sets up the rest of the story. It sets up the rest of Scripture, and honestly, it sets up what in the world is going on in our lives. And it definitely sets up our need for a Savior. It explains why we're here, but it also explains why we're here. You know, why things are going on like they do. It explains that we need Jesus. So thankfully, yeah, the world is messed up. But God has it under control, and God sent the solution. Jesus took the punishment for humanity. He, he offers us eternal life. And so with, with that background, now we have the background. Christian, maybe you want to come to the altar and, and just lay your burdens, everything in your life that you think is just so messed up. You know, I'm, I, I'm in a, I got a messed up life in a messed up world. Join the rest of us. That's all of us. Lay them at the feet of the Almighty God who offered the solution. Because if he offered the solution to sin, he probably could offer the solution to whatever in the world you're going through. Rather than trying to do it yourself, knowing you can't do it anyway, why don't you bring it to him? But maybe you haven't trusted that solution yet. I mean, yeah, you might see that there's definitely a broken world and your life is broken and all messed up. But guess what? Only God can pick up the pieces. Only God can bring everything back together. And he did it through Jesus Christ. So trust in Jesus Christ. Believe on him and be saved. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry at Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at KidsQuest underscore HBC. Our student ministry is on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening, and God bless.